So several years ago, I was flipping through the television and I stumbled across uh, one of those heavily syndicated religious shows on a well-known cable channel. I'm not against them. Uh, sometimes they can be a little bit out there. Uh, and this one was, that's why I'm gonna share with you this morning. But it was a little more out there than I even expected. I was really surprised by what I saw. I was just kind of scrolling through and then decided to camp here for a few minutes to see what was going on. And it was a recorded worship gathering, something just like this, in a very, very, very large church. And it was a teaching at that point that was trying to show people how to pray. Essentially the same thing that I'm going to attempt to do over these next weeks. And the main point of the teaching told people how God really wanted to work powerfully in their lives and answer their prayers. And throughout the show, several people started sharing how God had, in really profound ways, answered their prayer requests. And they kept making the statement that they, these requests were being answered because they had this incredible faith uh, to boldly ask God for anything, which is actually something Jesus uh, literally says. And so all of this was done in a religious culture. I got savvy to it after a couple of minutes. But this whole idea that we're talking about revolved around not, not just asking God boldly for anything, but asking God very boldly for very certain things. And they were all rooted around personal desires, uh, specifically about material items that they wanted. In other words, people were asking for a lot of stuff. That's what they were wanting God to do for them. Uh, I didn't hear a single person ask for Jesus to redeem the world. I didn't hear a single person ask for God to eradicate pain and suffering or to solve the problems of poverty or inequity. None of those things were being asked for. The requests of God were incredibly narrow because they only focused on a handful of things, and I'll mention to you a few of them. Uh, very large sums of money, uh, incredibly nice cars, and super big houses. Those were the three most repetitive uh, prayer requests, of which you should know I have all three. I'm super wealthy. I drive a Maserati and live in a mansion on the hill, the other side of town, right? So several folks said that uh, God saw very fit to provide them with this stuff. And this is where it got interesting. Follow me through here to the end of this. It got interesting, uh, especially when it came to money. Uh, they said that God uh, was actually literally putting, they call these divine transfers, that God was putting money in their bank account. Like literally they would go to the bank and there would be money in there. And when they said this, it was, it was, I was trying to figure it out. I actually wanted to ask those people how he does that because when I do anything in my bank, I have to show them a driver's license. And then I remembered, you know, God is a God who part of the Sea of Reeds, so he can probably do this. But nonetheless, they had uh, God answering prayers like this. And then other people said that they were really asking for very, like God to upgrade their houses. Others were wanting God to make their car payments and that he was doing these things. And these examples were going on and on, but they revolved around all these material items shared in a mega large auditorium. And what was more interesting to me was in between these stories, uh, an announcer type person would chime in. It was sort of like there would be a break in a voiceover where this person would chime in and say that we, the listener, the person watching the show, we could have these very same results if we did a handful of things. There were three critical things that we were told we had to do. Uh, the first was rooted in this biblical idea of having the faith and the boldness to ask God for whatever you wanted. Uh, the second was that you had to order a bottle of Miracle Spring water. I'm not kidding. And the third was considered a faith tool. You had to order one of these two, which was an envelope that looked like it just had a picture of Jesus on it. And with these three things, I was told I could have a lot of money, a nice car, and a big house. And I thought the envelope was a bit odd, but I've always been one to sort of stake my bet. So, you know, I did get the bottle of water. I thought it was very critical just to make sure I had my bases covered there. But that's what you had to do. So we reduced God to this sort of guy who gives us stuff, and we have to have these three tools. Now, before we move on, I want to really be clear here. It should be said, and I want you to know that I'm not actually attacking the fact or, or talking about the fact that God doesn't provide or can't provide material items to us. 
Um, there are times where God does bless us with material items. In fact, many of us, including myself, can share stories of how God has used people to bless us with something in times of need. And I'm confident, knowing a great many of you in this room, that you've likely been on the giving end of this type of generosity. So in no way am I saying that God can or won't bless us with, with material items, like the stuff we need to survive and thrive on this planet, especially when they're used for his good. Rather, what I want to point out is that there was a deep challenge with this teaching, and it signifies, it's, it's one expression of a very problematic prayer life, and that's really what I want to chip out here. The challenge with this teaching is that it re represents a common belief held by some people where God is sort of seen as a God who has a lot of stuff, and we only approach God when, it is, when we figure out that we need something that he has. Uh, some folks have called this the prosperity gospel. I think that is one way of talking about it. In other words, God only loves us when he shows us. He loves us by showering us with material blessings. I think, though, this attitude can be far more sophisticated than these ideas we're talking about. In, in a more balanced life, we might say, it manifests itself in a person who only goes to God when there's a time of need or when they're thinking about a promotion at work or they're looking about advancing themselves maybe in what we would call more noble ways in the world. But nonetheless, the attitude is the same. Uh, we go to God for something because we know he is a God that the scripture teaches us, commands all the resources of the world. And then this, the other side of this sort of teaches us that if God doesn't provide us these things, whatever they are that we're asking for, it's because we are doing something to keep, to keep that from happening. And it puts us in this really challenging tit-for-tat situation with God. In other words, if we see prayer as simply going to God to ask for something, then that's the chief aim of what our prayer is. And when we don't get that, then we are likely to feel like God doesn't care or he's not listening to us or he's callous or even denying us something. The problem with this is in large part that it reduces the role of prayer to a tool used to just get something from God. It is solely asked for, in many cases, to benefit self. And these prayers are rooted in what I like to call a relational utility. And what I mean by that is we see God as a gift giver. And, and this show in particularly, it looked like this is how people saw God. And they only wanted to be close to God because they believed he could potentially give them something. There was, it didn't look like a whole lot of love there. It just looked like there was a lot of expectation of the fact that God could provide something they wanted. And so this TV segment is kind of a good example of how some people can read certain scriptures in the Bible. And when we maybe take them out of context or we imbalance them, what happens is, in this case, prayer. The end result of this is almost always a misrepresentation of God in some way. And one of the places we see this happen frequently is when it comes to how the Bible tells us to pray and what to expect when we pray. And this sort of makes sense because... While there is a ton of scripture that addresses praying and how to pray from Jesus himself, when we begin to pray, it becomes a very personal dialogue. And I think it could be very easy, whether it's corporate prayer or prayer individually between us and God, it could be easy for us to maybe drift in places or misunderstand things, maybe misapply things that cause us to really miss the heart and the power of prayer. And so over these next weeks, we're going to look at what we believe about prayer. Since it is so important to the Christian life, it is an essential it is categorized as a Christian discipline in the great history books and the scripture itself. In other words, it's one of the things that God desires us to do. It helps us to grow in him. It helps us to understand him more deeply. It helps to build our confidence in ourselves and in God in this world. Prayer is a critical element in the life of the Christian. And the verses we're looking at today, these won't be the only ones, but they sort of summarize the gist of what I want to mention to you this morning. They are in a section of scripture in Ephesians known as putting on the armor of God. And in them, Paul uses this example of how a soldier putting on their armor is both a defensive and an offensive act. Now, think about this. We're in ancient times. Paul's writing this in the first century. And in the ancient world, Paul's world, 
there was only one known world, meaning one big dog on the block. This is the Roman world. And so the, the Roman army is the most powerful army on earth. And a Roman soldier, which is sort of what he's referencing here, because this is the analogy most people have in their head, a Roman soldier wore armor not just to defend themselves from the attacks of enemies, but also to protect himself as he sought to advance the causes and the influence of Rome in the world. Armor is both defensive and offensive. It keeps you safe when you're being attacked, and it's one more tool you have to move forward, in this case, to build the Roman Empire. And so spiritually speaking, there's a parallel here that we are to derive from these, these armors, these pieces of armor. Spiritually speaking, God instructs us to see the teachings in this section in a very similar way. They instruct us to do things like read the Bible, which we've talked about. Rest in Jesus' righteousness and dwell on Jesus' truth. We spent a lot of time talking about Jesus. These are all sort of armors we're to be wearing in order to be able to balance ourselves in this world and to be able to live in ways that honor God, move his kingdom forward. And Paul closes this section of teaching by driving home an interesting point. He goes on to say that we also need to be the type of people who pray without ceasing, who pray for everything at all times. And we are the type of people, just looking at this very myopic understanding of prayer, who pray for much more than just our own need, although that's incredibly important. Don't also don't hear me saying like that we're not supposed to approach God with our needs. I'm just saying if we're only approaching God with our needs, eventually what will happen is those needs will likely turn into wants, and we'll miss the larger portion of prayer when it's meant to communicate to us. Because as God's people, we've been set apart to advance the causes and the influence of Jesus' kingdom on earth by spreading the good news and the grace of the gospel of Jesus through our words and our deeds. This is what Advent represents. This was, you might consider in the modern world, the first sort of, uh, it's the first way that God really reveals himself to the world in the New Testament in a profound way. It is God beginning to advance his causes of goodness and light in the world through Jesus, through his birth, and then eventually at Easter we celebrate his death. And so for us, we cannot live in the same way or with the same power that Jesus did unless we're praying to God about these things. And this is why we mention this. It's why we're talking about this at this time of year. For some reason, and to varying degrees, people can be very confused about the practice of prayer, ranging from some abuses like we just talked about, or for some folks who maybe abuse prayer in a different way. And by that I simply mean we don't do it at all. Or we do it like in the most urgent situations of life. Both are ways that we misunderstand prayer. Both will cause us to miss an incredible intimacy with God. Because prayer is much more than a utility. It's actually one of the tools we have to get to know God and to understand God's purposes for our lives, his care and his affection for us. And so today, we start a conversation about what prayer is, why we do it, and what we should expect from God when we pray. And I want to jump in and look at this next belief truth. We believe prayer is an incredibly important part of our relationship with God. It's a very simple statement. To follow God well, we have to know that prayer is an incredibly important part of it. And I want to reread just one verse from what was read to us a moment ago that really concretely points to this. Ephesians 6.18. Remember, Paul's summarizing how the Christian lives in a way that is victorious in this world. And he closes this section by saying, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And so in this we see Paul challenges us to, to pray for all things at all times, including ourselves. But there's a strong appeal that we not only pray for ourselves, that we pray for all of the Lord's people. We're praying for the men and women who love Jesus. We're praying for the causes of God's kingdom on earth. In other words, we're praying about everything at all times. The reason this is important to understand this on all occasions with all kinds of prayers is because it teaches us something important about our walk with Christ. 
our prayer lives can very directly reveal something to us about who we are and how we understand the role, the central role of God in our life. When you have a healthy prayer life, it reveals a heart that is rooted in and dependent on God. The bottom line here is, if we're not praying, it signifies that we don't think we need God present in our circumstances or in the circumstances of his kingdom in the world. And when we do pray, sort of think of it like this, since the the Bible does use this example regularly of God being our father. If we had a child who never sought to talk to us, never sought to bring us anything, never called out our name, just sort of lived in the same house with us, but never really connected with us in any meaningful way, we would likely call into question the vitality of that relationship because there is no contact at all. The same is true here. The more we go to God with prayer, the more that we understand the importance of prayer in our life, the more likely it is to reveal just how significant we think God is or isn't in our life and in our circumstances. And this is the big idea Paul is trying to convey to us in verse 18. And when you connect it to this military metaphor, the armor of God, which precedes it, we're guaranteed to get some major clarity on what a prayer life for the Christian is supposed to look like. So Paul is saying a person who prays regularly for the things of God who prays regularly for the people of God, who prays regularly for the causes of God, what this person does is they, they bear the mark of a child intimately connected to God. There is something in them that shows they desire to be in the presence of their God. And this is where we start to see some tension with some of the misinformed prayer models around today. The one I mentioned a few moments ago, or the one that says like we only go to God in dire moments of urgency, or just not at all. Thankfully, this teaching and tons of other in the scripture clearly define what prayer is. And they give us some really good practical and theological understandings of how this is applied in life. And so prayer is really to be an intimate conversation that you have with God, with your Father in heaven. And it is a growing desire to invite him into the details of your life. That's really what prayer is. God is already aware of the details of your life and mine. But our desire to pray to him really shows that we, we are like demanding in healthy ways his presence in our life. God wants to be a part of the details, all of the good ones, all of the bad ones, all of the challenging ones in between. And the more that we pray to God, the more that we invite him into those things, the more likely we are to see that God has a deep affection for us and that God deeply wants what is best for us. And so prayer is really like having the freedom and the confidence to know that you can approach God for anything at any time. That's what Paul is saying here. But coupled with some of the qualifications of prayer, Meaning he's saying don't only pray. It doesn't say pray in the spirit on, on all occasions for yourself. That's included in this, meaning we should pray for ourselves. But that list goes on about the other things we should be praying for. Part of a healthy prayer life is having the maturity to know that the purpose of prayer is not just utilitarian in nature. It's not just that we want to spend time with God when we, we sense that we need something in life from him that we think he can provide. That's the problem with the first motive in the prayer we examined this morning. It was truly an attempt to, to take this, I mean, robust tool, this discipline God has given us, and we reduce prayer to, to just something to get something from God. And I want to put this in human terms for a moment. I want you to think about a meaningful relationship you have with somebody. Just imagine this in your head. A spouse, a child, a son, a daughter, a parent, whatever. Think of somebody you really care about. And I want you to think about that person starting to treat you like this. If you've ever been around a person who treated you in this utilitarian way, it is incredibly unhealthy and hurtful because a person who treats somebody that they say they love like this, they, they start to get a really negative feeling from them. When a person only approaches you because they need something or they want something, 
when the relationship becomes utilitarian, meaning you're only, you're only sought when you can solve a problem or fix an issue, over time what happens is the human heart will likely start to feel like this is a person that actually doesn't love me. They just love what they think they can get from me. I think the proverbial wisdom in our world is we would call this person a user, right? They're only around when there's something to garner or get. Now think about using this relationship with God. Think about maybe his emotions and his feelings, how it might feel to him if we approach him in this matter, how we sort of, even though he's aware of the circumstances of, of our life, we sort of deprive ourselves by not having him <laughs> present in them. Other people make this same utilitarian mistake with God in how they pray. They just express it a bit differently. Maybe we pray for things that are more noble. Like I said earlier, we, we want to pray to advance our own kingdom on earth on a regular basis. There's nothing wrong with wanting to flourish in this earth, but disconnecting God from that is a problem. It's, it's a different form of materialism, we might say. And some Christians would never dream of speaking to God at all to demand something material from him. We just hear that some of them maybe don't desire to speak to God at all. And if we do pray, we resort to what I like to call Hail Mary praying. Now, if you watch football, you know that there's a famous play, particularly in the college world, called the Hail Mary Pass. And it's basically a last-minute play of desperation you use when things are so bad in a game that you are about to lose. So what happens is, I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but the quarterback says, everybody run to the end zone as fast as you can. I'm just going to throw this thing up there, and somebody do your best to grab it. It's what you do when you've run every play you know how to run. The clock is ticking. The urgency is so significant that you have to do something out of desperation. And so a team resorts to this when there's nothing else to resort to. And unfortunately, this is how some of us see prayer in our lives. And sometimes that is not necessarily a bad thing. What I mean by this is sometimes the, the urgent nature of life can really get our heart's attention. That's a good thing when something maybe snaps us out of a numbness before God. That's a good place to begin. But what I would say is if our prayer life is this in its entirety, like we're only sort of going to God when things are urgent or dire or stressful, then what happens is we, we miss out on something significant. This is the type of person that thinks prayer is something you, you fall back on when there's no other option. While the rest of the time, they largely ignore God. And what this means, the deeper heart issue here, is that this is a person who you know, sort of says, like, I follow God, but they rely on their own strength. They rely on their own cleverness to get through life. And the truth about life is there are some situations that we are not strong enough or clever enough to get through on our own. And it's in those moments that we can be awakened to the presence of God in prayer. Or a better posture would be that we are aware God desires to be present in all of the moments in our life. And if we end up at this one with him directing our ship, that that's fine. But wouldn't it be better if we actually sought God through all the moments of life, good and bad, where we invited him not just into the crisis, but we actually wanted him present on the mountaintops of our life. We wanted him there for the birth of our children. We wanted to give thanks for that as we raise our kids or love our neighbors. We want him present in it all. That's what Paul is saying here. If we only turn to God when we exhaust all of our options, then we create a pretty stressful way of living. Because essentially what we're doing is we're, we're redlining in life and then demanding to speak to God and never really having our life motor run at an even keel. Now, on the contrary, Paul tells us we shouldn't just pray when we think we need to. We should pray all the time, on every occasion, about everything. And he says we shouldn't see conversing with our Father in heaven as a Hail Mary option, but the main play you run in every day and in every area of your life. Some of the great people in the kingdom of God, whether they are living, maybe these are men and women that have influenced you or me today, or folks who have gone before us, maybe they've written books, or they've really sort of practice certain disciplines of life where they've shown us how to live well for Jesus, one of the common threads in those lives, much like I said mission last week, how folks have a healthy burden 
to share the name of Jesus through word and deed, that's a mark of maturity. Prayer is also a mark of maturity. And what I found is there's this idea of sort of practicing the presence of God in our lives. Simply meaning we don't even reduce prayer, although it can certainly be a block of time in a private place in our own rooms. Absolutely, legitimate way of praying. But the men and women who seem to be most dialed into God, they, they really pray on all occasions. Meaning in their workplace, in their travels, in their leisure, they see and sense things. And they often bring these things to God like off the top of their head and the top of their hearts. They, they are literally inviting God into every moment of their life. And that is a very great place to be. Because what it reminds us of is that God is never disconnected from any moment of our life. And whatever is before us, or whatever we're dealing with on the inside, big or small, God is present and with us. All occasions, at all times, for all things, including the Lord's people and the work of the kingdom. And it's super important to note, this is sort of where we'll begin to wrap up and where we'll pick up next week. It's important to note that this teaching Paul gives us is not just his teaching alone. We are first taught to pray like this by Jesus himself in the Lord's Prayer. Much like every good discipline in the New Testament that somebody like an Apostle Paul picks up and applies to his own life, it roots itself in something Jesus not only said but did. And so Paul is not just randomly teaching us stuff about prayer here. He is literally reteaching us the stuff Jesus taught him that he is now living out. In the Lord's Prayer, or I like the model prayer, there's a few names for this in the Bible, depending on what translation you have and what the header is, but it's either most likely referred to as the Lord's Prayer because he gave it to the disciples, or the model prayer because it's the model prayer Jesus gave us, the sort of pattern of prayer life after. In the Lord's Prayer, or the model prayer, and in his personal life and teaching, Jesus constantly tells and shows us prayer is a crucial part of the Christian life. I mean, Jesus himself is doing this. He is not only the Son of God, he is God. And at every major and mundane moment in his life, he is approaching his Father. There, you just cannot look at these two and see them wanting to be separated. There's this beautiful companionship they have. They want to be in each other's presence. And Jesus brings everything to his Father, including the challenges of the cross. And God speaks to him. They communicate. This is a different way of praying. It's a way of getting your whole life rooted in a relationship of daily dependence on God. And what it does is it shows that God is on our minds in every area of life. That's why I say our prayer life sort of reveals something about our heart. When we look at our jobs and our families and our workplaces and our finances and our spare time, we can either run through life with those things or we can understand that if God is truly our king, if Jesus is our king, he wants to be present in all of those things. And I promise you, not because I have the authority to make this promise, but because the scripture does, when we invite God into those things, we are more likely to be satisfied in those things. These are things that will, will benefit us and serve us. They will not be things that sort of pull us in tow or demand allegiance from us because God is the king of those areas of our lives. That's what praying on a regular basis does. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to, to pray that we would be ever mindful of God's staying presence in our lives, to pray for daily provision. That's what the first three are basically talking about, those first three uh, uh, petitions, excuse me. We are to pray for protection from temptation and evil, to pray that God's gospel of grace would deepen its roots in this world. We literally are to pray that the heavens that God resides in would be manifest on this earth, that his kingdom up there through our lives, our words, and our deeds would, would make his kingdom here. In other words, we're lighting new candles in our life everywhere we go. We're shining new light in the areas of the world that need the light of Christ. We are to pray about what our role in bringing about God's kingdom would be. We're not only to pray for the Lord's people, we're to remember that we are one of the Lord's people for in Jesus. In this type of prayer, we see that to only approach God in prayer to ask for needs, completely legitimate. So here the word only. 
or even desires, which are okay to bring to God too. If we're only going to him with these things, then what is likely going to happen is we're, we're going to be met with an imbalanced understanding of prayer. And what this leads to is an unhealthy utilitarian praying that we open with, seeing God as a great provider and only needing him when you need something. In its worst form, our prayer becomes us telling God what we want him to do to build our kingdom on earth rather than his. So we no longer say, your kingdom come, your will be done. We say, hey, this is what I need you to do in my life to make my kingdom come and to get my will done. There's a big difference in those two statements. The Christian is to live for the will of God on earth. We're to live for the glory and the goodness of Jesus. And that is a great place to be. We don't want to disconnect God from our everyday lives because it is through our everyday lives that he wants to build his kingdom. And this truth really does need to be on the top of our heads and in the depths of our hearts as we begin this conversation on prayer. Because if it's not, we will likely just add. Here's, here's where we, we rob ourselves. We will likely just ask God to support a meager existence of a life. Meaning, when we think this way, God build my kingdom, the bar is so low when you compare it to the type of bar God wants to build his kingdom through and you through. Something different happens there. We miss out on the amazing journey of what it means to follow God. So think about this. It's a bit crazy that God is saying, I want to talk to you about everything in your life. I want to talk to you about all the amazing things I want to do in your life. I want to speak to you through my scripture. I want you to know that my staying hand of comfort and presence is with you. That my authority is with you. When I, when I command you to, think, to do things like go share my name through word and deed, I want you to know that I want to use your life not only to bring you hope, joy, and peace, but to bring hope, joy, and peace to other people. I want to use your life. I want to talk to you about how your faithfulness to me today is the bedrock that will produce the fruit of my kingdom tomorrow. And I want to do this for all of eternity. Like what you do in this earth matters forever. I want to talk to you about your hurt, your struggles, your joys in this life, your sufferings. I want to talk to you about all of this and more. He says this. This is the nature of the Bible. But I can't talk to any of you about this. Because all you want to do is talk to me about what you want from me. This is literally what he says to the person who can't bring anything beyond their own desires to God. I want to deal with everything, but I can't get into everything because you only need me when you need me. Understanding this, praying on all occasions, truth, in Ephesians, is truly the foundation to everything else we're going to talk about over these next weeks. It simply means our lives are, are postured in a way to where we recognize and desire God's presence in all areas of our lives. Our, our thoughts, our, our, our worldviews, our vocations, the way we raise our families, whatever it is, we want God in our lives. And so as we wrap this up, this first teaching on prayer, and officially enter this, this Christmas season, I hope, with no pun intended, since today is a day where we think about the hope of Jesus, I hope it really does bring a bit of clarity as to why we need a bigger goal in our prayer life than just praying for the needs of our own life. We want to pray for the needs of our own life, but I think the more we recognize that God wants to use our life to meet the needs of others, to, to advance the causes of his kingdom, the more likely we are to see the nature of our prayers and expectations of God expand. And I hope today we'll begin praying and asking God to give us a kingdom mindset here, to ask God how he wants to provide for our lives, not only to sustain us on this earth, but also to build his kingdom and share the name of Jesus on this earth. What we celebrate at this time of year is this reality that God, in ever-increasing ways, culminating in Jesus, made the name of his, his name known to the nations of the world. And Jesus is the apex example we have of this. And as he leaves, that's my last three sermons, when he leaves, he says, now my name, I prefer you share it with the world. 
I'm going to work through you to the end of time, until I return, until, until my advent, my second advent, my parousia takes place. We are to labor for the kingdom of God on this earth until Jesus returns. And we cannot do that without praying. And so when it comes to what you've heard this morning about adopting a, a prayer life focused on your life in God's kingdom, I pray you'd be honest with God during this time. Let him speak to your heart as we move into response about where you are or are not with your prayer life. Because I'm assuming, myself included, we all have places where we can grow in this area. And as a church, we want to encourage the growth. We want to encourage growth in praying this morning. So ask God, ask yourself, what is Jesus saying to you about your prayer life? And what is it you will do about it? When you leave this place, will you pray for him? Or pray for the kingdom of God? Will you pray for your neighbor? Will you pray for the vibrancy of Jesus Christ to be manifest in your life? And if you have questions about prayer, maybe you have questions about what I've said today, use those connection cards this morning to let us communicate with you. We would love to be able to answer any questions we can about, about praying because it's so critical to the faith.